Last week we began talking about what it means to be friends with God the Son. And I focused a lot last week on Jesus' personal grace. And, And that personal grace is what leads us to know that we are treasured by him, that, that he delights in us every single day. But that grace that allows that to happen was purchased. It was, it was paid for. It's not just his personal grace of who he is, but it was also a purchased grace. And that's what I want to look at this morning as we think about what does it mean to relate to, to God the Son as our friend? How, does, how do we daily live our lives being friends with Jesus, right? And, and to understand that, we, we have to understand the purchased grace, what he has done apart from who he is. Who he is, we could spend you know, hundreds of sermons talking about that. But we also need to look at what he has done for us this morning. And I asked Jamie to read that story about Mahibosheth because I, I think in a way it, it portrays a beautiful picture of this idea of Jesus' purchased grace in our life. And I want you to think about that story for a minute that Jamie read where King David seeks out the house of Saul the, the king that he replaced because of his love and friendship for Jonathan to see if there was anyone there that he could still honor. And that's touching, but I want you to understand how ridiculous that is. That's the most foolish thing David could have done. Do you know why? You don't want an heir from the previous king's line to continue because then that's a threat to your throne. And yet in that story, not only does David show kindness to Mahibosheth, but Mahibosheth lives and produces an heir to continue that line. Anywhere else in the world at that time would have cleaned house, literally, of the previous king's line. Because that would have been an enemy to your position, to your lineage, to your children's children, right? And yet, we find David doing something that is completely countercultural for his time. He's showing love, kindness, and compassion, and dare I even say adoption into his family by having him sit and eat at his table. It's not just that he restored his house and he restored his lands and he did all of this stuff, but he said, no, he is going to eat at my table with me. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. We are his enemies. And yet, he invites us as sons and daughters to come and eat at his table with him. And the way that is possible this morning is through the purchased grace of Jesus Christ. 
You see, the, the, God's work of salvation hasn't reached its completion, it, its final, ultimate purpose, until it has brought us into an intimate relationship with Him. That, that is the goal. That is the target. That is what we are moving toward. God's act of salvation in the world, its ultimate end is to bring us into an intimate relationship with Him this morning. So when we talk about being friends of God, that is quite literally God's program. That, that is what He is going for. To bring you and I into a relationship with Him like we've never experienced before. The question is, well, what does it look like for us to live out this friendship with Jesus in our daily life this morning? That's, that's the question I want to really try to dive into and focus on this morning. And, and to answer that, again, I'm going to shift from Jesus' personal grace that we talked about last week and talk more about Jesus' purchased grace and how this purchase, purchased grace allows us to have a friendship with him. If you're taking notes, here's, here's kind of the outline. And please bear with me. My throat is not the best this morning. But our outline this morning is going to be living in friendship with Jesus. We're going to look at our justification. Second, growing in our friendship with Jesus. Our sanctification journey with Jesus. And then finally, friendship with Jesus in adoption Understanding our divine privileges that we get being invited to sit at his table with him. So first, living in friendship with Jesus. And this idea of justification and, and friendship with God, this is the completion of God's work of salvation and, and bringing us into this intimate relationship. We, we were enemies. We, we were so far from being close to God or even wanting a relationship with God, that, that we had to have someone come and die for us that would justify us. And, and that emphasis is of, of bringing us into a relationship with Him. This is not just some cosmic program He's working. This is an individual program that He's working. His bride is made up of collective living stones each and every one of us being formed into the bride of Christ. So how do we live out this friendship in our daily life? Well, it starts in a way that I think may sound counterintuitive, at least to our culture. But it starts with a deep dive into our own sense of sinfulness. We have to understand who we are as human beings. And again, this is the opposite of the self-esteem movement, right? Everything in this world is telling you, just believe in yourself. And, and deep down inside, you're really a good person. And, and you just need to focus on you, right? And yet, the reality is that the biblical perspective on, on how we get to a place of happiness and confidence is by diving into our sense of sinfulness. We daily need to weigh our actions in the balance right we need to think about why we do what we do every single one of you in this room including myself 
at our very best, we have mixed motives. We, we may get up in the morning and say, I want to serve Jesus, and I want to make Jesus' love known to the whole world. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we're selective about who we show that love to. There, there's a part of us that pulls back from certain people. Right? We genuinely want to show the love of Jesus, but our, our sinful hearts are still there. They're still at work, and we need to daily understand that. We need to daily confess and repent of those areas where we fall short and we need to recognize that we sin even in our best attempts to serve jesus not just when we're outright sinning and outright doing the wrong thing that's clear but even when we're trying to be good even when we're coming to church there there may be other reasons we are here at church this morning that are not purely for god We need to weigh that each and every day. But then we need to bring that weight of guilt and shame and failure to Jesus through prayer. Through our confession and our repentance. I think Owens is very helpful here in his book, Communion with God. Imagine that that you come into Jesus' presence and you're carrying a a heavy, foul-smelling bag filled with your sin and corruption. And and after you've looked carefully at your soul and your life, you've seen that the picture isn't pretty. And so you are daily weighed down by guilt, rightfully ashamed for all your sinful deeds and attitudes. And then Owens gives us a three-step drama of what it means to be a friend of God, the Son. He says, Jesus is calling believers to bring their burdens to him. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're afraid that Jesus isn't going to help you. Like, well, if Jesus, if he, if he knew what I was thinking, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I got a pretty good face and, and I can act pretty good. But this whole brain up here, it's going 90 to nothing, right? Is Jesus even going to be willing to help me? But when you hear the gracious call of Jesus for you to come, that's, that's step one. That's the Spirit drawing you second believers laying down their sins at the cross see once we're convinced of what we talked about last week that he delights in us that he loves us that he treasures us that's able to help you and motivate you hand that nasty burden over to him and stop Trying to punish yourself thinking, well, I have to carry this because I'm such a horrible person and I'm so unlovable. Understanding the love that God has for us through his son enables us to hand that over to him. And third, taking hold of the righteousness that Jesus offers. Finally, we we take hold of this beautiful gift of his love and his holiness that Jesus has purchased for you and I. This is what that, that three-step drama of friendship that Owens describes. Jesus calling us to bring our burdens. As believers laying down those burdens at the cross. And finally taking a hold of the righteousness that Jesus offers. In this way we can go about our day no longer crushed by the sense of our sin. But instead, we can live confident that Jesus loves us and he treasures us. 
By going through this experience, not by avoiding this experience, not by trying to ignore our sinfulness, but by understanding our sinfulness and yet also understanding the grace that has been extended to us as believers. This gives us self-confidence because it's not in ourself, it's in Jesus, right? If my confidence is in me, it's always going to be shaky. It's always going to be like a three-legged stool. I'm, I'm always going to be a little off kilter. But when my confidence is in Jesus, then I can face the day. Then I can face my employer. Then I can face my family. I can face anything. Because if God is with me, who can be against me? And that leads us to the joy of friendship. When we daily practice this this weighing of our sin and then taking that sin to Jesus, the result of that should be joy. I tell people all the time, if you're confessing and repenting and it leads to depression, you're doing it wrong. Confession and repentance should lead to joy. It should lead to praise and happiness because we know that we have a Savior that loves us. This is what it looks like to have that daily experience of friendship with Jesus. It's one of joy. And we know, listen, that our right standing before God, that's a a one-time gift. That, That justification that he has made for us, it never needs to be repeated. But what we're talking about here this morning, when we're talking about this kind of joy, is we're talking about the friendship with Jesus, the the daily walk with Jesus, and experiencing his love and his kindness. But the gospel of Christ is a real solution to our real problem. And friendship with him lets us live our lives in joy of being accepted by God. Not for who we are, but for who Jesus is. Can you see how this is so much better than anything that the world could ever offer us? I mean, think about about all the ways the world tries to talk to us about, well, you just got to forgive yourself and you got to, you know, do all these different things. And if you just have positive thoughts and you look in the mirror and you just say, I'm a great person and gosh darn it, people like me. If you just say that over and over again, then you're going to believe it. Like that, that, that's so hollow compared to what we are being offered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's not some thin, watery nonsense. It's not this idea of, oh, you just need to embrace your inner beauty, this inner spark inside of you and, and then you'll shine and it'll be great, Right? This is, this is what we hear. This is what we're bombarded with from all the media sources. Social media, the movies, all, all that. If you just believe in yourself, things will be better. Power of positivity. Whole genre of self-help books that you see in the bookstore. It's all about you believing in you. You trusting in you. And that's not good news this morning. Because I know me. And that's akin to trying to put makeup on a dead person. I do a lot of funerals. And, and, and one of the things that just, you see all the work they put into the body. 
like they're fooling anybody. It's still a body that's dead. And, and all that self-motivation and self-belief and all that, it's like putting makeup on a dead person. You're not fooling anybody. But with Jesus, we get something real. With Jesus, we get something that leads to joy. And that's why it's important for us to, to daily relate with Jesus. The good news, guys, is Jesus never tires from hearing our sin. It only ever pleases and glorifies him when we bring it to him. It's when we hold on to it and we try to keep it to ourselves and think, well, I'll deal with this. And when I get it right, then I'll go back and talk to Jesus. We, we need to take it to Jesus. He's the only one that can fix it. And that helps us to maintain peace with God through our, our daily engagement of confession and repentance to him. So just to summarize what it means to be living in friendship with Jesus this morning, it means taking time every day for self-examination, confession, repentance, every day. Second, delight and, and, and find the joy in the great exchange through our friendship with Jesus. Right? All of our sin is, is transferred and handed over to Him. And we get joy. We get justification. And finally, daily engaging with this purchased grace through Jesus enables us to fulfill our purpose of being accepted by God. That's, that's living in friendship, but how do we grow in this friendship? And that's what we call sanctification in the church. It's a big, long, fancy word, but it basically means becoming more like Jesus. And here we're turning away from our justification and more into our sanctification, the growth that we have as we continue to walk and live this life. And there's always a word of caution that we have to to think about when we talk about the idea of sanctification, it's very easy to slip into the idea of works righteousness. And, and what I mean by that is that, that our work, that the things that we're doing is somehow giving us a righteousness. And I think the easiest way to avoid that trap is to focus our conversation about sanctification on our source and strength of the holiness that we have through the work of Jesus. You see, Jesus' role in sanctification is threefold. One, he, he's the one requesting the Father to send the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16 through 17, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So Jesus is the one that is providing us with the Holy Spirit to help us be able to grow in our sanctification. Second, he sent the Spirit to believers. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, 
the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So not only does Jesus request the Spirit from the Father, but he is also the one sending the Spirit to us. And then finally, he's bestowing this habitual grace for a new nature in our life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen to how one author put it. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus has implanted a new nature, a new habit in our souls. Our eyes, which once were closed to the beauty of holiness and obedience, are now wide open. Our hearts, which were once hardened toward the Lord, are now soft and tender. Our souls, which used to delight in sin and self, are now captivated by the beauty of Jesus. All of this was purchased for us by the work of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his continual intercession on our behalf. Friendship with Jesus is a response to this work. The work that he has done. Remember, all throughout this series, we've been talking about the fact that it's not a real friendship. It's not a real relationship if it is not two-way. If it is all one-sided, that is not a real intimate friendship. And so as believers, we're continually focusing our eyes on what Jesus has done for us. And we're looking at him as a, a king with an unending treasury, right? We, we, me and Stosh were talking about this before, how many trillions of dollars of debt that our country has. We don't serve a Lord that has any debt. His, his bank accounts are unlimited, right? And we can come to him time and time and time again, every single day, for help. And we'll never reach the end of his grace. We'll never reach the end of his vast resources. We, we never have to worry about our account being overdrawn, right? I remember... There were so many times in my life that, you know, when they came out with those bank cards, I thought, well, these, these are great things. It's so much more convenient than a check until you get in the line and they swipe it and they say, oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't work anymore. And if you've ever had that happen to you a couple of times, there is still a little bit of paranoia every time I hand them that card. Even though I'm pretty sure I have money, Having gone through that experience, there's always this like little bit of, oh, please work, you know? And I even joke with the cashiers like, whew, you know, glad it went through this time, right? But you never have to worry about that with Jesus. Never. You never have to have any doubt or fear about going to him and asking him for help as you grow in your sanctification. And this leads us to cultivating our friendship with Jesus. And, and we do that by understanding the, the purifying power of Jesus' blood in our life. Again, this goes back to the first part, but when we're aware of our soul's pollution, just polluted with sin, it should drive us to God. It should drive us to Jesus. 
It's not just because our sin makes us guilty, though it does. The the greater problem is that we are defiled people. Our, Our souls are defiled. Again, Owens says it so well. He says, people are unclean in their natures, unclean in their persons, unclean in their conversations, all rolled in the blood of their defilements. Their hearts by nature, a very sink, and their lives a dunghill. But when we understand and put our faith in Jesus' cleansing blood, we find freedom from that sin. Since we know that, that nothing defiled can ever enter into the kingdom of heaven, Ephesians 5, 5 tells us, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and impure or who is covetous, covet, ugh, I love that word, that is an idolater. Why don't I just say that in the first place? Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And this awareness of our pollution and I should drive us to Christ because only his blood can cleanse us from all sin. In 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Christ's sprinkling of blood upon us is a, a reference to the ritual purification that we see back in Exodus where Moses would sprinkle the people of Israel with the blood of sacrificed calves and goats. And the point was the application of the blood of the sacrifice would make the people ritually pure. But now we have something so much greater through Jesus. We have a a, a permanent and complete purification through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9, 18 through 26 says, Therefore, there not even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This means that we experience friendship with Jesus by meditating on the purifying power of his blood. That that as we spend time thinking about and meditating about and praying about the the, the sprinkling of the blood that purifies our lives, it, it enables us to grow in our relationship and our friendship with him. That, that enables us to look to Jesus for our holiness. 
instead of looking to ourselves. Believers relying on Jesus for everything need him for holiness. He, he provides the outside assistance, the Holy Spirit. He provides the power that we, li- that we lack. So we can confidently strive for holiness with all of our energy and all of our power without ever finally relying or investing our hope on our own efforts. The Spirit sent by Christ creates holiness in our lives by sprinkling Christ's blood on us. But we're not just recognizing Jesus as a source of of our holiness. That that recognition, it it starts with our minds this this morning. Holiness begins with your thoughts this morning. What you're focusing on, what you're thinking about. Ephesians 4.24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, there's a three-part process there. Sometimes we only see two. Sometimes we only see put off the old and put on the new, but that, that middle part is really important. Being renewed in the spirit of your minds. What you are focusing on, what you are thinking about, affects that new self. Allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to renew our thoughts, is, is dire. We, we can't just get up in the morning and go, you know what, I'm going to put off the old and I'm going to put on the new. That's what I'm going to do today. That's, that's, again, us relying on ourselves. But Paul gives us a, a, a formula, if you will, here that demands we rely on the Spirit. We can get up and resolve ourselves to say, you know what, Lord, I want to put off the old today. But then we have to next say, will your Holy Spirit enable me and empower me to put on the new self? I, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. So it starts with our minds and what we focus on, but it's the Holy Spirit that, that changes our behaviors and our actions and our patterns. And it allows for us to strive for holiness with confidence because of, again, Jesus' purchased grace. That, that Holy Spirit that we have is because of what He has done for us. And so we can have confidence that, this is, that we're able to do it because of what He has done for us. So as we're growing in our friendship with Jesus, we need to emphasize on, on fixing our soul on God's promises for sanctification. We need to understand the assurance of obtaining a full manifestation of the Spirit's dwelling through our friendship with Jesus. And we need to focus on the Spirit's indwelling of us as the only way to experience a fruitful and joyful life leading to humility and holiness this morning. And the third and and final part that I want to look at this morning of our friendship with Jesus through his purchased grace is I, I want to end by focusing on the ultimate blessing of our friendship with Jesus. Our adoption into God's family. Think about this analogy of 
Mahibasheth that we see, right? Like, he's, he's no dummy. He knows what happens to the king's heirs, right? And now all of a sudden he's being summoned to the, to the palace to meet with the king, where normally he would be disposed of, right? Because we don't want any heirs from that line anymore. That would be a terrifying prospect. But it's funny how in the verse or in the, in the chapter, multiple times it tells us that he was crippled and he couldn't walk. So somebody was taking him there. Right? It's not like he would be like, you know what? Peace out. I'm running away. <laughs> right? He, he needed help with that. So he, he's being taken in there and that, that's the way we're taken in. Right? And we're expecting humiliation. We're expecting torture or, or maybe even execution. And yet, can you imagine Mahibosheth's surprise when Jesus says, I love you. Or, or when David says, I love you. And, and instead of punishing you, I, I'm going to take away your sentence and put you at my table. I'm going to adopt you as one of my own. Now, imagine if that, if David could go even farther, like God can, and could actually change Mehebesheth's heart. This is an imperfect analogy, but at the same time, this is the heart of the gospel. In John 1, 12 through 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that he did not, they did not know him. In Romans 8, 14 through 16, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are adopted into God's family. But when you think about adoption, for adoption to be legal, there has to be a couple of things in place to make it a legal adoption. First, the person has to belong to a different family, right? It's not like you can get up in the morning with your children and say, you know what, children, I'm going to adopt you today. No, they... You've got you to belong to a different family. And that's, that's who we are. We are by our nature. We are children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were living in the domain of darkness. Colossians 1, 13, for he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And the Bible even goes so far as to say that Satan is our spiritual father and that we are his loyal children in John 8, 44 through 47. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar 
and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So this is the family that we belong to. As as rebels against the holy and living God. And the second element that we need for a legal adoption is a second family. One that, that we didn't previously belong to. And this morning, none of us have a right to be adopted by God. None of us can stand up here and say, well, I I deserve it. We we don't have that right. Because we belong to our old rebellious selves and that family. The third element we need this morning is the legal and irrevocable transfer from one family to another. So you got to have, you got to belong to one family, you got to be going to another family, and there's got to be this irrevocable transfer from one to another. 1 John 3, 1 through 2 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that that when it appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see him as he is so jesus is not ashamed to acknowledge us as his brothers and sisters in christ in hebrews 2 11 he says for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and the spirit of adoption has been poured out into our hearts as proof of our new status going from one family to the new family Again, Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. But the fourth element you need is our our freedom from obligations to the previous family, right? When When you go from one family to the other, you're no longer bound by the old family. And this morning, if you are in Christ, you've been set free from all of your rebellious family bonds. Satan no longer has a claim on you this morning. We don't have to listen to anything he says because we've been set free. And the final element that we need in a legal adoption is the granting of a a new legal status with all the associated rights and privileges. Right? This is when you become a part of this new family, you are now part of this family. We, We get the gift of God's spirit. Right? And this... This brings us liberty. We get freedom from guilt, sin, death, and condemnation. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where and we're the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Through the work of Jesus, we have been set free from all the things that used to plague us. The the sin, the guilt, the death, the the condemnation. We we no longer have to fear those things. And that transforms our perspective of service and obedience to God. I think about a pastor named Chen Minlin in China in the 1950s. He pastored about 100 people. And they met in three house churches and, and did, had worship and Bible study. And then he was arrested. And for the next 18 years, he served the Lord as his ambassador in a labor camp. It's a fancy word for prison. 
And part of the time, his job was scooping would-be fertilizer from a cesspool from the prison. And in those days, such a place was basically a death sentence. But the pastor, he he took precautions. He coated his socks with a, a, a resin that would resist the infectious waters. And he prayed often that God would protect his life. And the first day in the cesspool, he said, was an absolute nightmare. The stench was almost unbearable. And he thought he was going to die that first day. He just thought that first day was never going to end, basically. But the sickening stench that was so bad to him was just as bad to the Chinese prison guards. And on that second morning, when he went to do his job in the cesspool, he noticed something that he missed the first day because the smell had overpowered him. The thing he missed was that he was completely alone. And that had never happened in a crowded prison camp. Each day, Pastor Chen would be lowered into the sinking, putrid cesspool with a huge smile on his face. He would begin to sing the old hymn, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he sang, he would feel the the Lord holding him tight in his everlasting arms. At that very moment, the, the cesspool had become his own private garden. You see, he saw this as a wonderful blessing because it was the only time that he was alone from the prying eyes of the guards and he could now commune with God. He could praise his name at the top of his voice and he could recite scripture that he had memorized. This is what a transformed perspective on obedience and service looks like, right? If I arrest you and say you have to do this, then you're going to get pretty miserable pretty fast. But Pastor Chen realized, I get to do this. I get to commune with God. And it totally changed his perspective and his attitude on obedience. And when we understand the privileges of being adopted into God's family, the idea of obeying God becomes something completely different. It's no longer a burden or a taskmaster like the law was. It becomes a joy to serve the Lord. Because we've been adopted into a new family. We've been given new rights. And this new right includes being Having the inherent privileges of being a part of the king's family this morning. In Hebrews 11, 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. But this, he he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We... We get faith as part of our privileges of being in God's family. We get salvation. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That, that is part of our inheritance. And most importantly, eternal life. Titus 3.7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
we, we get these new rights of righteousness and salvation and eternal life by being a part of the king's family. Third, we get boldness. We, we get to go to God as our adoptive father. Talk about, think about the difference between powerful world leaders, right? And, and, and whatever powerful means to you. Maybe that's a celebrity. Maybe that's, you know, you used to could say the president, but nobody really thinks much of that anymore. But, but you know, you have all these official, powerful people, right? And, and it's intimidating to go into their presence and to meet with them. And yet, to think about their son coming in through the back door and saying, Dad, can I talk to you for a few minutes? He doesn't have to make an appointment. He doesn't have to wait weeks or months. He just slips in the back door and boldly goes and talks to his father. That's what we get. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We get boldness. Finally, though, we also get disciplinary connect correction by being a part of God's family. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much. He, he loves us too much to, to leave us on our own without any kind of discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This morning, we need to understand the privileges that we get through being adopted into God's family. And there are so many more. This is just scratching the surface, guys. So many more. But, but meditating and understanding all, uh, the privileges that we get, it changes our perspective about obedience. It changes our perspective about living a holy life. Because we're trusting in what Jesus has done. What he has purchased on our behalf. Not trusting in ourselves. I want to conclude this morning by reading you a quote from Spurgeon. And he's commenting on 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I just, I, I thought this was so great that I, I just want to end with this because Spurgeon is much wiser than me. He's, he's going off of 2 Samuel 9, 13. And Mahibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Spurgeon said this, Mahibosheth was no great ornament to a royal table. Yet he had a continual place at David's board because the king could see in his face the features of the beloved Jonathan. Like Mahibosheth, we may cry unto the king of glory, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon him or look upon such a dead dog as I am? But still the Lord indulges us with the most familiar communication with himself because he sees in our countenance and he and remembrance of his dearly beloved son jesus the lord's people are dear for another's sake such is the love which the father bears to his only begotten son that for his sake he raises his lowly brethren from poverty and banishment to courtly companionship 
noble rank, and royal provision. Their deformity shall not rob them of their privileges. Lameness is no bar to sonship. The cripple is as much the heir as if he could run like a his a hell. hell. Well, a king's table is a noble hiding place for lame legs. In the gospel feast, we learn to glory in affirmities because the power of Christ rests upon us. Yet grievous disability may mar the person, persons of the best loved saints. Here is one feasted by David, yet so lame in both his feet that he could not go up with the king when he fled from the city and was therefore maligned and injured by his servant Ziba. Saints whose faith is weak and whose knowledge is slender are great losers. They are exposed to many enemies and cannot follow the king wherever he goes. This disease frequently arises from falls. Bad nursing in their spiritual infancy infancy often causes converts to fall into a despondency from which they never recover. And sin in other cases brings broken bones. Lord, help the lame to leap. And satisfy all your people with the bread from your table. Let's pray. Father.